Hello, and welcome to Sunday Devotionals with John and Rachel. We're so honored to have you join us as we explore God's truth and get to know Him in a more authentic and intimate way. As we go through life, many of us have questions, concerns, and issues that may hinder us from fully embracing who God is and who He's called us to be. These devotionals are designed to help us navigate life and all that comes with it, learning and growing in God. So pull up a chair and grab a cup of coffee, or in my case, tea, and join us as we fellowship. The premise of this series is basically to help us to get from our acceptance of walking with the Lord to ultimately being able to walk in freedom in our purpose. It's very important that we all come to a level of balance and stability and a genuine understanding of God's character, God's posture towards us. There's a lot of baggage that we bring into the relationship, right? There's a lot of stuff that we naturally bring in our humanity. There's a lot of stuff that we just carry on and we project a lot of this stuff on God, right? So we'll look at God as um, as forgiven, like we look at how we forgive other people. God is the ultimate holy, like he's the ultimate holiness. God never lies. God never sins. God never does anything. And he knows the posture of all of our hearts. So we might good, do good deeds, but our hearts could be wicked at the same time. So God is not judging you by the good deeds you do. He's judging you by the posture of your heart. But the Bible also says that the heart is deceitfully wicked. Who can know the heart? There's stuff going on in our minds right now, thoughts and things that we have no control over because we're just there's just a sin nature inside of all of us. So dealing with the sin nature, dealing with the fact that we're still human, but yet God has a standard of, of living that he wants us to live by, which causes us to sometimes slip and fall. What happens when you slip and fall? Like what happens when you sin? Like what, what does that mean? What does that do to your relationship with God? And as we continuously say, and I'll say it again, when you mess up and you fall short of God's standard, God knows your humanity. He's also, though, expecting us to not run away from him when we mess up, but run to him because that's our faith in the finished work of Christ. Okay, that God is not intimidated by anything we've ever done and anything that you're doing right now. But this is what we're going to talk about. This is where the heart of it is today. Even if you're still struggling. Right. And even if you're still going through, how do we deal with those feelings of guilt that we deal with inside and how are we able to distinguish what is condemnation and what is conviction? Mm-hmm. So first John one, three, you want to read? Mm-hmm. Okay. Okay. First John one, three through 10. And yeah. this is in the new King James mm-hmm. version that which we have seen and heard, we declare to you that you also may have fellowship with us. And truly our fellowship is with the father and with his son, Jesus Christ. And these things we write to you that your joy may be full. This is the message which we have heard from him and declare to you that God is light and in him is no darkness at all. If we say that we fellowship with him and walk in darkness, we lie and we do not practice the truth. Mm -hmm. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another and the blood of Jesus Christ, his son cleanses us from all sin. Mm -hmm. If we say that we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Mm. If we say that we have not sinned, we make him a liar and his word is not in us. Okay. 
So this is a very potent text here. And it really brings home the fact that all of us have something in common. All of us have sinned. All of us. All of us have a sin nature. Yes. All of us do. Which means all of us are susceptible to messing up. Even after you have come to the knowledge of Christ. This is the beautiful thing about that I love. And it's so liberating in, in the fact that God is not, and we keep saying it, he is not intimidated by our frailty and by our uh, humanity. He understands it, which is why the sacrifice of Christ on the cross is so undervalued by us. Like the fact that God came down in the flesh speaks to the fact that it took that dramatic of an effort to get rid of the stigma of sin off of us. That should break down all the legalism, all the real, all, all the religious stuff that we put up and all the, the, the lists that we do and the checkpoints that we do and all this other stuff to try to make ourselves or assert our own holiness. All have sin. And the Bible says very clearly, if you say that you have no sin, then you are a liar and you're calling God a liar. So if you say, oh, I'm not, or even act like that, you know, some of us act like, you know, some people, you know, that's, that's one of the things I, I, that I've heard people say turns them off about church and this right. whole scene of religion because everybody act like they don't, they have never done nothing. Right. right? And the Bible is clearly saying here that you're calling God a liar when you act like that. Because the truth is we all have fallen short. There was a few words that kind of jumped off the page here that I wanted to kind of bring to light as we talk about the difference between condemnation and conviction. Fellowship is used like five times in just this small piece here. And the fellowship that they're talking about actually comes from a Greek word, koinona. Now, what does that word fellowship mean? Fellowship means to be in agreement with one another, being united in purpose and serving alongside one another. Okay. Now that one another there also means God. So when we say we want to be in fellowship with God, that means I want to be in agreement with God. I want to be united in the purpose of God. And I also want to serve alongside God. Right. So there's three levels of connectedness that this word fellowship speaks to. It speaks to a united in agreement. So that means we're thinking the same things. That means what you think is wrong, I think is wrong, too. There's a compatibility in our thought processes. Right. Then it also means being united in purpose. That means we are together for the same reason. That means that our goals are aligned. That means our reason for being are congruent. And then the third layer of that is because we are on the same page, communication wise and agreement, because we are united in our purpose. Now we can serve together in a uniformity. This is a command that God has given. This, this encompassing word fellowship here is speaking to that with each other, but also with God so that our joy might be full. So when you think about the fulfillment of having a relationship that's fruitful, a relationship that's beautiful, a relationship that's free, this is the kind of relationship that God wants to have with us. So that relationship has to run deeper than church and it has to run deeper than our human relationships. He also uses the fact that in God, there is no darkness at all. That means God wants to be fully transparent with you. God is fully transparent with you about what he likes and what he doesn't like. He's very clear about how he feels about you. He's very clear. 
So the clarity on God's end, the Bible, there's no shadows. There's no deceit in God. There's no, it is what it is. He's light and there's no darkness at all. Right? So then what that means is if there's any darkness in your relationship with God, it's not coming from him. It's coming from where we are and our perception of God. This whole idea of condemnation is a dark area and it's a dark perception that that we wrestle with. Like the woman right in that scripture, even with Paul and all the stuff that he did, he says explicitly, there is no condemnation to them who are in Christ. Right. Not a little bit. Absolutely none. Right. So if you're feeling any of that, that's on you, that's you. So then now if it's me, then how do I deal with that? Another thing that, that I, I want us to see here in this particular text is there's a lot of conditional things in here. And if is used a lot in this. Right. And what that tells us is freedom is a choice and walking in the fullness of your relationship with God is a conscious decision that we have to make of casting down what we think. Not exalting our own feelings and our own understanding and our own perception, choosing to believe that Christ is enough, choosing to believe that God loves me and that because he loves me, I'm in him. I'm not condemned. That's a choice. And that choice sometimes is a moment to moment, second to second thing. So our commitment to fellowship is directly correlated to our capacity for the enjoyment and the freedom of Christ. That your capacity to walk in the fullness of salvation is directly correlated to your commitment to fellowship on those three levels. So your commitment to agree with God, your commitment to be united in God's purpose for your life, and your commitment to serve alongside God. Those three check marks should be the posture where your heart sits in order for you to walk in the freedom of Christ and have this fullness of fellowship that your joy might be full. So when it comes to conviction, conviction is a very a unique word and the word that word itself is not necessarily used um, in the Bible in that sense. But that word is used and defined in the Bible as what we call godly sorrow. So that is that feeling that sometimes resembles that guilty feeling that we feel where I did something wrong and whether I got caught or not. It's just that man remorse. I, I, maybe. When yeah. Like, yeah. Remorse in the sense that you you know, you've offended God. Yeah. And you've hurt. It's, it's mm-hmm. like mm-hmm. when a child sees their parent is like there's a difference between the parent just yelling and screaming because, you know, they tripped over their toys and they tell them a million times. But if they saw their their parent trip and fall and really get hurt mm-hmm. from something that they've been told not to do, that they continually do, there's a, another level of guilt or sorrow, like mm-hmm. you said, or remorse at the fact that. They kept telling me, and this is why. Mm-hmm. And now there's consequences to my actions. Mm-hmm. I'm really sorry. Yeah. Now, what do we do with that feeling? And I'm sure many of us can relate to that in the natural. But you also feel that spiritually. Like God warned you and he told you and it's very clear. You, you, this is wrong. There are consequences to this. And you may not experience the consequences readily because there's grace. But then, you know, we just keep messing up and, 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 and then the grace starts to starts to expire a little bit. Now we start feeling consequences. And then it's like, God, you know, you fear that God's going to I told you so. See, that's why. And I'm not going to forgive you for this because you keep doing it. And I done told you what to do and you're not doing it. And what did we do with that feeling? What is that? Right. Because that's the devil's playground. Mm-hmm. Like that's that's the playground where it's like, OK, God says, come to me. Right. Come to me. It don't matter how many times you messed up. 
You just got to keep coming. That's what makes you righteous, right? Righteousness is the fact that you fall, but you get back up and you start falling less because the more you get back up, the stronger you get, the more alert you are about what made you fall. And if you love somebody, you're not going to desire to keep doing something that you know offends them. It's the same thing with God. Second Corinthians seven and 10. And this is the NIV. It says godly sorrow brings repentance that leads to salvation and leaves no regret, but worldly sorrow brings death. Okay. This scripture is where the heart of this whole condemnation and conviction sits. Godly sorrow brings repentance. So it's kind of like when you, like you said, you feel that remorse and you feel like, um, I have offended God. I have messed up. I have sinned. I have slipped up on whatever that slip up is, right? Great or small. A slip up is a slip up to God. Remember, he's holy, right? So a white lie and killing somebody, they both sin. They both mess ups to God, right? And one in our eyes is worse than the other. Yes, 100%, right? But just to say the standard, God is just as serious about murder as he is about white lies, He's a holy God. So the idea of feeling that remorse and that godly sorrow speaks to, you know, the whole idea of it brings repentance. That means godly sorrow creates an opportunity for us to repent. It brings the opportunity of repentance to us. Now, what we do with that, this is the condition part. Now, godly sorrow is going to bring that opportunity to repent. Okay. You're having a chance to say, okay, because see, feeling bad about it and saying, oh man, and perseverating over the fact that, man, I messed up, man, I sinned, man, I messed up, man, I sinned, then starts moving into God's not going to forgive me. I've done too much. I've done too much. And now you're starting to go towards condemnation, right? Godly sorrow presents the opportunity and says, okay, God is forgiving. He's faithful and just to forgive your sins and cleanse you from all unrighteousness. Remember the cross? Remember, while they were sinning against the Lord, Jesus on the cross said, forgive them for they don't know what they are doing. So there's that open door to receive Christ's forgiveness right there in the heat of you messing up. Mm. Worldly sorrow, which is the opposite, which leads to death, says, man, listen, I'm a hypocrite. I'm a hypocrite. I'm supposed to be saying I love God. I'm supposed to be doing all this and I'm not. You've already judged yourself as a hypocrite. Mm. You've already said what you are. So now you're going to start to judge yourself like a hypocrite deserves. And the crazy part of how the enemy tricks us is he makes us judge what God has already judged. Right. God has already said, I know you're dust and I'm not punishing you as your sins deserve. As far as the east is from the west. So I've cast your transgressions from you. But the devil says, well, you keep doing it. So you're a hypocrite. God ain't going to forgive you. Come on. God is not mocked. Whatever you sow, you're going to reap. And these are all the things that we hear. And a lot of times we're taking these things out of context and putting ourselves in a situation of being unforgivable when it's really ourselves that can't forgive ourselves. And it's it's God. Then we we sabotage. That causes us to sabotage the progress that's there for us mm-hmm. and the freedom that's there for us because we, we basically forfeit it. Yeah. That's a better word. Yeah. We forfeit what is naturally ours because we feel, feel like, okay, like when we go on a diet, you know, you set out to, to, um, 
you know, eat right, yeah. and, you know, you cut out certain things and then you have a slip up and then you may have another cookie and then that cookie turns into a slice of cake. And before you know it, you've eaten a pizza, a whole cake and two cheeseburgers and or order fries. And you're like, whatever. And then you just forget the diet and you just go off and do whatever you want to do. Yeah. That, But no, you, you have a slip up, get over it and then keep going. That's it. That's it. Because it's a lifestyle. Yeah. And I love that analogy, like you said it, because it's like it's like you disregard your progress. Right. So you have been doing good for like however long. Right. And then something happens. You're like, you know what? I want this cake. But it, it's so it's so under it's so undermined. It's like it, it it's it's such a what's the word, man? It's kind of like that analogy came to me because that's where I am right now. Tell the truth. Shame <laughs> the devil. But. <laughs> But but you just think about like like you disregarding hard work that actually counted for something. Yes. Like you might have lo- actually lost weight, but because right. you quit, right. like you might have made so much progress, but because you quit, right. And you say forget it from one day, you've lost thousands of calories already, but you're gonna quit because you get you get you ate an extra five hundred. One cookie. Right. Right. Isn't that crazy? And that's what we do. We made so much progress. We gave our life to the Lord. We're trying to pray. We're trying to walk right. We're forgiving people. And all of a sudden, somebody does something to us in one day and we lose it. Right. So now all of a sudden, oh, you starting from scratch. Right. You go all the way back to the finish line and go back like 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 the kids, like when when you were subbing and, and teaching and the kids try uh, to rush up to get to the line. And, oh, stuff, yeah. and you say, now everybody go back and sit down and start from the beginning. God is not doing that. God is not doing, making you go all the way back to the beginning. Oh, you're not so start from scratch. We do that. Yeah. God gives us a clean start from where we are. It's a beautiful thing. So godly sorrow brings repentance that leads to salvation. Okay. So the sorrow that you feel, that feeling of, man, I slipped up. I messed up. That's conviction, right? Conviction says, okay, you feel that you guilty. Yes. Conviction first admits the guilt. It first admits the fact that, yes, I messed up. Confession. I messed up, Lord. I messed up. And right there, your next phrase is going to determine whether you're going to condemnation right. or you're going to conviction. Whether you're going towards death or you're going towards salvation. That next area right there. God, I messed up. Now, where are you going to put behind the butt? You're going to put a butt there. God, I messed up. But you are faithful and just to forgive me. But I'm saved. But Christ is my advocate. Condemnation brings death and regret. But conviction brings repentance, which leads to salvation and no regret. Mm. This is how you know the difference between the two. Condemnation has lingering regret and regret makes you perseverate over what you did. Ah, man, I wish I didn't. Ah, man, I wish I could. Instead of admitting, Lord, I can't not do this. Lord, I feel like I'm in bondage to this thing. I can't do this without you. I need your help. Help me to hate it as much as you do. Help me to see this thing in the same way you see it. Help me not to like this anymore. Help me to see how hurtful this is to you. Help me to see how hurtful this is to other people. Help me to see how hurtful this is to me. And I would say the difference between the two is where the power lies. Like with conviction, the power is directed back to God Mm -hmm. where it should be. That's good. Because 
you're the you're the only one that can get me out of this. Like mm. I, I, it's like David. I, yeah. I, I, I've sinned against you. Like I'm caught red-handed. Yeah. And now the only person that can get me out of this is you. Mm-hmm. Versus condemnation, where the focus is put on us, and we almost feel like we have the power to get ourselves out because mm. we've had the power to condemn ourselves. Right. To whatever judgment we we believe we deserve. Mm. So with one, the power goes to God, and with the other, we think we have the power. That's so good. Yeah. So it's time for us to start giving things to God, like and stop exalting our own mindsets and our own understanding of this thing. Like very true. God is very explicitly clear on how He feels about sin, how He feels about you, His love towards you, what He expects from us. And what we can do in our own power and what he does through us. First John chapter two, verses one through six. My little children, these things I write to you so that you may not sin. And if anyone sins, we have an advocate with the father, Jesus Christ, the righteous. Hold on a second. Right. So he's basically saying that I'm writing all of this and I'm writing this book to you so that you don't sin. Right. So the Bible is written. The word of God is written to us so that we don't sin because the Bible tells us the consequences of sin is death. It exposes the fact that we are sinful. That's what the law did. The Ten Commandments exposes what sin was and showed us our sinful nature. So the Bible has to it a um, it brings with it a, a challenge to us to not sin. Right. But we said it before. Everybody sins. So there's a dynamic here, another area where conviction and condemnation can really play free here. Condemnation can really play free here. And the fact that the Bible exposes and challenges us is written so that you not don't sin. But then your humanity and your sinful nature causes you to sin. So then there's a lot of back and forth. But then right after that, and it's the same verse, if anyone does sin, you have an advocate. There's another one, another text that says, but if you sin, notice there's an if there, right? If you sin, if anyone sins, we have an advocate with the father, Jesus Christ, the righteous. Now, I think that's a very powerful phrase. And like I said, I believe us as Christians have to really put Christ back where he belongs on the throne of our hearts and our lives. Mm-hmm. And our lives must be lived under the rule of, and sovereign rule of Christ's righteousness and not ours. We have an advocate. What's an advocate, right? Anybody ever go to court? Anybody ever get pulled over? But I remember the first time I got, I went to court and um, I got a ticket, right? And it was an unjust situation where, you know, the cop, I guess, needed to meet his quota. And um, he stopped me in a very prestigious area and uh, said that I ran, in quotes. Both of us. Huh? Were you there? Yeah. Oh, rolled through a stop sign, Right. And we know what that roll through means. Like you stop, but ain't nobody there. So you kind of go through. In this neighborhood, I was very cognizant of the fact that, you know, you got people watching, whatever. So I definitely stopped. Right. But at the end of the day. It's Scarsdale. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It was Scarsdale. We stopped. So I stopped. (laughs) But all of a sudden, here comes this young cop. And, um, you know, his whole approach was you could tell he wanted he just he just wanted to antagonize somebody. That night. So he comes to the car and he has his flashlight and he's blinding me through my mirror. So he has his flashlight blinding me so I can't see him. And he's walking towards the car with his hand on his on his gun. Like, 
Really? What, what, what's going on? So I calmly, you know, of course, I calmly do it, but I'm really like nervous inside because I'm like, what happened? What is it? I'm not riding dirty here. I, everything's right. We good. Right. So he comes to the window and he basically starts to assert himself. You know, what did I do? You ran through this. You rolled through the stop sign. Here's a summons. It'll be your word against mine in court. Let's see who wins. So at that point, you know, I'm holding in all of this anger and frustration that I'm feeling. I'm feeling all uh, attacked and, and all this other stuff. I'm upset, right? I end up going to court praying that he happened to not be there because we all know what happens if the cop that stopped you ain't there. All of a sudden you get grace and, you, you know, they let you go. This man shows up to the courtroom. And when I go up to the bench... I remember feeling so alone and I remember feeling so unprotected and vulnerable because I had this big bad cop who had the law on his side and I'm in a courtroom from a demographic that I don't relate to, that I look like an outsider. Everything just looks like it could just be pointing to the fact that just give him the full consequences without listening to the truth. And it made me think about how if I had someone who knew the law Better or just as much as those that were accusing me, right? Or if I had someone who had the savvy and had the understanding of how I should posture myself in this case so that it will work in my favor, because in my favor was the truth, I would have felt so much better. This is what happens. The Bible calls the devil the accuser of the brethren. That means he's always going to come and try to accuse you of stuff and point out your wrongs and point out your, basically what he's doing, he's pointing out your human weaknesses to God over and over and over day and night, pointing them out, pointing them out. Look what they did. See, look at the, look what they did. Look what they, they don't deserve your grace and mercy. Look what they did. All this going on the whole time. And the Bible's saying, if you sin and if the devil is right, and if you have done these things that you're accused of, we have an advocate. That means confessing to the advocate. I did this. I did that. I did this. I did that. It's better for the advocate to speak for you than for you to try to defend yourself. Because the thing about an advocate or a lawyer, I mean, you yeah, know, it's the, the kind of one in the same. It's the same thing. Yeah. Is they know more than you do. Mm-hmm. They know the law. So if they're well versed in something, it would be in your best interest to go to that person because they know every loophole, they know every crevice and corner of the law or any bylaws that have been written. They know how to, you know, mm-hmm. I, I think about um, the movie, The Lion, the Witch and the Wardrobe mm-hmm. and Aslan, how, you know, he, I, I don't know if you've watched the movie, but um, basically in a nutshell, in this world, there was an evil witch that was basically taking control over, I guess you could say the soul of that land or that country or whatever Mm -hmm. and here comes these 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 um humans or sons of adam and eve daughters of eve that come in and they're basically trying to fight on their behalf Mm -hmm. to defeat the witch and there's a scene where the witch gets one of the sons of adam does has a slip up and he basically sins Mm -hmm. and she catches him so now he has sort of messed it up for everybody else. Mm-hmm. So because of his transgression, he has now sort of doomed everybody, his brothers, mm-hmm. brother and sisters, along with everyone that they came in to help to the control of the witch. Mm-hmm. But you have this one scene where Aslan, who acts as the advocate, so to speak, she says something to him in an accusatory manner 
And he goes, he roars back at her and goes, don't recite to me the law, the, the written laws. Mm -hmm. I was there when it was written. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And that's the same thing with us and Jesus. He is the law. Mm -hmm. He was there from the foundation before it, it even came into existence. Mm -hmm. So if the devil comes and steps to us with what we've done, all we have to do is hide behind him. Amen. The lamb that was slain. Mm -hmm. He's the lion of Judah. We're hiding behind him. And he's the one advocating for us because he was there when the law was written. Amen. He is the law. So if you try to do it on your own strength, then you left with your own defenses. Right. I'd rather take the advocate, which is Jesus Christ, because he knows exactly what is the law because he came to fulfill it. Amen. He was there when it was written. Amen. Amen. Absolutely. And you know what else is beautiful about that? A lot of times with that analogy with the lawyer and, and, and the judge, a lot of times the lawyer and the judge, they know each other. Right. <laughs> they, they have a relationship already. Right. They've seen each other before. This is your first time seeing both of them or, you know, but at the same time, they have another level of communication that you don't have. Plus, they know the law better than you. So why are we trying to defend ourselves? Right. When just let Jesus talk to God on our behalf. Right. And as long as we confess our sins and our faults, he is faithful and just to forgive us and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Mm. So we confess and then he does the work. It's an amazing thing. And I pray that we see this and not take it for granted because it's going to help us to really walk in the freedom that God has called us to. This is why there is no condemnation to them who are in Christ. Because if there was condemnation to them who are in Christ, it would lead to death. Mm. Christ already died for us. So as long as we are dying to ourselves, there's no spiritual death. Your spirit man will bring your life back to life. Mm. So there's a different level of living now that God is calling us to. It's not a natural living. It's now your spirit life has to consume your natural life. So condemnation says you're doomed. You can't be forgiven. You blew it too many times. You're not really sorry for what you've done. You're in a cycle. God's not going to forgive you for the same thing over and over again. So just forget about it. Like the diet. You just you slipped up today. You had all them calories. Forget the diet anyway. Just go and do what you want to do. Do you. At the end of the day, you're just going to always be unhealthy. That's right. it. And you done through a year's worth of exercise, getting up early. Don't changing your diet, not eating what you love and all this other stuff down the drain for one day and a small fraction of what caused you to mess up. But conviction, on the other hand, says, yeah, I messed up, but I can't run from God because he's merciful, because Christ is my advocate, because he himself is a propitiation for my sin. That means when I confess my sins to Christ, Christ's death appeases God. So Christ's death in itself, just me putting my trust in the fact that, God, I could never live up to your standard, but I'm, I, I believe in your son. And because I believe in your son, when my humanity gets the best of me, I'm going to lean on Christ. Mm. And he's not just the propitiation or the appeasement of sin for just us, but for the whole world. So this is 1 John 2, 1 through 6. And now by this we know. That we know him if we keep his commandments. So these are a couple points just to leave you with. Right. OK. First, the Bible is clear 
sin is wrong. And sin in any form is not pleasing to God. Period. Because sin is wrong and God knows that we're humanly prone to sin, he has given us Christ. Christ is the appeasement for sin. Accepting Christ and and his sacrifice for us, putting our trust and faith in him is an appeasement for sin. So if we sin, we know that Christ is our advocate. Because Christ is our advocate is not permission for us to keep sinning. Because the first command is don't sin. So the point of it is you fall into sin, go and sin no more. Don't fall into condemnation. Strive after God's commands to keep them. And when you can't keep them, tell God about it. Lord, I'm struggling with this. Lord, I don't know what to do. Lord, help me. And that's a pivotal moment. And I think that's one of the most powerful prayers we can all pray. Lord, help me. Three words. Lord, help me. And the Bible says that the Holy Spirit within us makes intercession for us, meaning we may not have the words to express how we feel to God, but that Lord help me is loaded with everything that we need help with. Whoever keeps his word, surely the love of God is perfected in him. By this we know that we are in him. He who says he abides in him ought himself also to walk just as Jesus walked. So by no means does this whole idea of no condemnation give us a free pass to do whatever we want and to not be accountable for the lifestyles that we choose to live. Because we can see in this, there's a lot of ifs here. If you do, God will do. But freedom is a choice. And God is calling each and every one of us as we walk with him to walk in freedom and liberty, but also walk in accountability to his word, accountability to one another, so that the world may see that we are truly his disciples. And that's the point. So, Lord, we thank you and we praise you for this time that you, uh, we've come together and gathered once more. God, we thank you for speaking to us. We thank you for feeding us. We thank you for the edification that has taken place, thank the admonishment, you. the encouragement, God. Lord, I pray, God, that as we take it in, we live with it and meditate on it and let Please, it Lord, saturate our hearts this week, God. I pray, God, that your spirit would highlight to us where mm. we are falling into condemnation versus this, mm. the conviction that your spirit brings, God. Yes, Lord. Lord, help us to have the godly sorrow, the sorrow that comes from you that leads to salvation, God, mm. instead of falling into the traps that the devil has set for us. Mm. You know and you see everything. You have numbered the hairs on our head. You know exactly who we are. You have created us, God. Everything about us, you already know. You're acquainted with God. And everything that we face, we don't have a high priest that has not been faced and and has not dealt with the feelings of our infirmity. Mm. You are well aware and acquainted with what we feel, God. I pray, God, that you would allow us to embrace the newness that you have set before us, that you are presenting to us. Mm. Let us walk in this freedom that you have for us. Yes, Lord. He whom the Son sets free is free indeed. Mm. Let us walk in this freeness, God. I pray for every heart. I pray, God, that forgiveness would live inside of us 
the forgiveness that comes from you. Your forgiveness, Lord. Not the forgiveness that we have, the stipulations that we have attached to it. I pray, God, that your love and your, your forgiveness would live and flow out of us. Yes, Lord. To the point that we surprise ourselves. Mm. I pray, God, that you would meet every financial need. I pray that you would touch everybody. I pray that you would heal the broken hearts, heal the bodies that need physical healing. I pray, God, that you would just continue to give us the grace to endure the things that are not going to change. I pray that you give us the mercy to be able to move past when we fall short. I pray, God, that you give us the favor to obtain the things that we cannot on our own. And I thank you and I praise you for being God to us. In Jesus' name, amen. We hope you've been blessed by what we shared. You can follow us at Sunday Devotionals on Instagram and like us on Facebook, where we can continue our discussions and keep in touch. We love you all and pray God continues to bless and keep you.